If you received an email yesterday from me, you know that uh, I have a burden for this sermon today. This morning that I am uh, tasked with one of the most difficult messages I ever have to preach, preaching about the sanctity of human life. The reason I must do this is that we have just passed the 46th anniversary of the Supreme Court's ruling to legalize abortion in the United States. Uh, You know it as Roe v. Wade, Roe v. Wade, and that 46 years later, America is still under the curse of that decision. Uh, Millions of babies are still being killed every year, and so who is there that can can deny that we have been steadily moving further and further away from God and godly values over these past uh, 50 years or so. You know, there's some preachers like me who will not preach this message, who just refuse to do this. They, they say that's a political issue, just leave that to the side. But I cannot help but preach this message. In this message, I have to make two different points, and they sometimes are seem to be diametrically opposed, I have to speak to two very different needs. First of all, I have to speak against abortion. I have to wake up not just the world, but God's people, so that we realize the horrors of abortion. If you've been listening to the news this week, you know that things have become even more difficult in the state of New York, at least. State of New York has made a ruling, a new law, that a baby can be aborted for any reason up to 24 weeks gestation, and even up to the moment of full-term birth if the mother's health is somehow threatened. Um, Very, very bizarre place for a state to be. They feel justified in doing it, and they glory and celebrate that decision. Secondly, however, I need to also declare and demonstrate God's love and grace to the people who have made that decision and to so many others, to those people who are part of the abortion problem. This includes young people who have unwanted pregnancies and they don't know what to do about that. It includes the parents of such young people, sometimes uh, very young teens, their children, It applies to the abortion providers themselves and to anyone who calls himself pro-choice. Even though God has spoken against abortion, he loves all of them with an everlasting love and he longs for them to repent and be saved. And so his heart must be my heart. God has spoken against taking the lives of the young and the infirm and the elderly But he has also declared his grace towards sinners of whom we are all a part. While I must speak against abortion this morning, I must also have great compassion for those who have chosen to have or perform an abortion. And I must try to understand their reasons. And I must try to understand their pain and now the suffering And the emptiness that they feel as a result of their actions. Can I do both of these things? Well, I guess you'll have to be the judge of that. So let's pray. Father, I pray today that as we go to your word, that you would show us things that maybe we have missed, things that we have not understood properly.
that you would confront our hearts wherever we may be. I doubt that there's anyone in this room, myself included, Lord, that has our hearts exactly where they need to be. This issue is such a divisive issue. This issue is only the tip of the iceberg for all the things that are facing our nation right now. And yet, we must know clearly your will, and we must strive to live that will and to help others do the same. We pray for your grace to be in our hearts much more fully than it has been so far. And we pray that our hearts of selfishness and pride will be replaced by your heart of love. I pray this through Christ. Amen. You know, our enemy, the devil, is a liar. Our enemy, the devil, is a thief. He promises freedom to everyone he tempts to sin. Everybody he entices to sin. But the result of our sinful actions, we know, is always bondage and death. You know, he promises great things, but what you get in return is nothing near that promise. John 10.10 says this, The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. These are the words of Jesus. He said that the devil is a thief whose only motive is to steal and kill and destroy us. But that Jesus, on the other hand, came to bring us life and life to the full. The devil wants to take away our lives and our freedom by encouraging us to rebel against God as he did and to disobey God as he did. But God in his grace gives us what is true freedom. Freedom from sin and sin's ugly consequences. God can give us new life here on earth and eternal life to come when we leave this earth. Two of the persistent questions that people still ask today are these. Who am I and why am I here? (laughs) These are age-old questions that everyone wants an answer to. Almost all of us ask them, even word for word, to say, well, what am I supposed to be doing here? Why, why am I here? And who am I after all? And God answers both of these questions early on in the Scriptures, the Bible. We read about the creation of mankind in Genesis 1 and 2, and it kind of sets the stage for who we are and what we're supposed to do. In Genesis 1, 26, Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then Genesis 2, starting with verse 4, recaps this. Kind of goes back and says, okay, I've said all these things. Let me go back and recap. Where are we? Creation is recapped in this way and maybe a few more details are added along. Genesis 
2, verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth and when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not set rain on the earth and there was no one uh, to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. And then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. I want to make three quick points this morning. First, the Bible says that we are created for life. God created us for life. Life as it is intended to be, not as it often is lived. We are to enjoy the life that He has given each one of us. And we are meant to cherish the life as God has given us and preserve life at all cost. And that's why on this day we are celebrating the sanctity of human life. Life itself is a gift from God. But sadly, much of the world doesn't know how sacred life is in the mind of God. Life is not valued as it should be. In many parts of this world, even here in America, life is cheap. Life is unappreciated. There's one doctor who wrote this moving story about the experiences of his life and how his perspective was changed through the years. This is what he says. Several years ago, a fragile young woman came to my office expecting her first baby. One month before she was due, the baby was in a breech position. The death rate of breech babies is high because of the difficulty in delivering the after-coming head and the imperative need of delivering it quickly after the body is born. During the delivery, I waited as patiently as I could for the natural forces of expulsion to thoroughly dilate the firm maternal structures. At last, the time had come, and I gently drew down one little foot. I grasped the other, but it would not come. Uh, beside the first one. To my consternation, I saw the other little foot would never be beside the first one. The entire thigh from the hip to the knee was missing. I knew what a dreadful effect this would have upon this unstable nervous system of this mother. The family would almost certainly impoverish itself in trying to take care of this child to to every famous orthopedist in the world. I saw this little girl Someday, sitting sadly by herself while the other girls danced and ran and played. I thought I could slow my hand. I could delay those few short moments. No one in this world would ever know. The mother, after the first shock of grief, would be glad that she had lost a child so handicapped. The little pink foot on the good side bobbed out from its protecting towel and pressed firmly against my slowly moving hand into whose keeping the safety of the mother and the baby had been entrusted. I couldn't do it. I delivered the baby with her pitiful little leg. Every foreboding came true. The mother was in the hospital several months. She looked like a wraith of her her former self. And as the years went on, I blamed myself bitterly for not having had the strength to yield to my temptation. Then the doctor continued his story. Our hospital stages an elaborate Christmas party every year for the staff. And this past year, three lovely young musicians on the stage played softly in unison with the organ. I was especially fascinated by the young harpist. 
She played extraordinarily well, as if she loved it. Her slender fingers flicked across the strings. Her face was upturned as if the world that moment were a wonderful and holy place. And when the short program was over, there came running down the aisle a woman I did not know. Oh, you saw her, she cried. You must have recognized your baby. That was my daughter who played the harp. The little girl who was born with only one good leg 17 years ago. We tried everything at first. But now she has a whole artificial leg on that side. And best of all, through the years, she learned to use her hands so wonderfully. She's going to be one of the world's greatest harpists. She is my whole life, and now she is happy. And here she is. The sweet young girl had quietly approached us, her eyes glowing. Impulsively, I took the child in my hands. Across her warm young shoulder, I saw the creeping clock of the delivery room 17 years before. I lived again those awful moments when her life was in my hand. And as the last strains of Silent Night faded, I found the comfort I had waited for so long. We were created for life. No matter how we were conceived, no matter the circumstances of our birth, God wants each of us to know life, to live life. No matter our shape our bodies are in, whole or incomplete, God wants us to know life. For once we have been conceived, we are an eternal soul with eternal worth, eternal value. We're not just the body that we have been given. We are an eternal soul residing inside of that body. And God created mankind as the crowning point of his creation. And God wants each of us to know that we are created for life. So secondly, every life needs to be, should be celebrated. God did an amazing thing when he created our universe. It was a perfect world of unity and harmony. Piece by piece, as you read through Genesis 1, you see this creation story unfolding as each part of the universe comes into being. Every living thing was made to be healthy and to be beneficial to other living things so that they would live in perfect harmony. And then as you continue reading, you read about that fateful choice, that one fateful choice made by Adam and Eve so that everything in creation was corrupted by sin. The fall of man ruined everything. And with the fall came sickness and diseases and accidents and even death itself. Beginning with Cain and Abel, Adam's sons, men started killing each other for the most selfish, prideful reasons. That killing then and now extends to the smallest of us human beings, to the most vulnerable infants still in their mother's wombs. I heard a college professor who presented a challenging situation to his ethics class. He made up a set of difficult circumstances someone could find themselves in, and then he asked them to decide what they would advise these people to do. Here was the situation. He said, imagine this. A man has syphilis. And his wife has tuberculosis. They have already had four children. One of them has died, and the other three have terminal illnesses. The mother is pregnant again. What do you recommend? And he left it to the class in groups. Well, a lot of 
discussion went on for quite some time, and all the groups finally came back and said, we're ready, we have our answer. And every group said they should terminate that pregnancy. The professor said, I understand, but congratulations, you have just killed Ludwig von Beethoven. That was his life. His life would have been taken if they followed the advice of the students in the ethics class. Why should any of us think that we should decide who should live and who should not? Every life is to be celebrated and valued and prized. Henry Nguyen, noted author, wrote an entire book to celebrate the life of a young man named Adam Arnett, someone whose life someone would think had nothing worthy of celebration. Adam was a severely handicapped young man, brought to Laarche community, a complete care facility for mentally handicapped people, which Henry Nguyen and others worked with. His book is called Adam, God's Beloved, and it explains how Nguyen learned to value of the life of someone who is severely disabled and required constant care from someone else. Adam could seemingly do nothing for himself, and yet he touched the lives of many people around him before he passed away in his early 30s. Nguyen learned that Adam's life was just as valuable and just as precious as anyone's, and he made a great contribution to this world in spite of his limitations. Every life has value. And every life needs to be celebrated. Some of us are old enough to remember Ethel Waters, the great gospel singer. Ethel Waters was, was a, a powerful presence in, in singing about the glory and the love of God. She was born to a 13-year-old girl who had been raped. Somehow, Ethel Waters' life, uh, what, a mother chose life. And Ethel grew up to know and to love God herself. And the world would have been robbed of the wonderful sacred music provided by them had not she been valued as she was. Every life, no matter whose life it is, no matter where that life is, is to be celebrated because God celebrates their life. Whatever their physical circumstances, they are an eternal soul who are to be valued and prized. Thirdly, All of us are created to live for God and for good. Remember John 10 that it began with? Jesus said, I came to give you life and life to the full. One of our other translations says, an abundant life. You know, life that is extreme, life that is is immeasurable. This is the life that is designed and desired by God for us. The unique characteristics and personality of each human being conceived are meant to be expressed and enjoyed. And God takes delight in seeing how our lives develop. And God has a plan for each of us to live for Him and for the good that we can do in this world, whatever our abilities. God is anxious to see our potential fulfilled and His dreams for our lives realized. And if we lose sight of this, If we lose sight of the value placed on human life, we are susceptible to the temptation to destroy a life designed by God. And when a life is destroyed, we lose the impact 
that such a life could have had, enriching our lives and bringing glory to God. Some of us may have watched this past Christmas season a a DVD that we actually own. It's called It's a Wonderful Life. Remember that one? I think they've colorized it now. Starring Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart plays a man named George Bailey. And the story allows him, an ordinary man, to see what the world would have missed if he had not been born. Although George is tempted to end his life, he finds out that his life is worth living after all. Even though he never achieved fame or wealth, which he thought were so important at that point in his life. Genesis 2 says that in the creation, that God breathes the breath of life into that which he created. I want you to picture that for a moment. I, I saw an artist's rendering of, of God just kind of stooping over a bunch of dirt, and man is kind of rising up out in, in full form out of the dirt. And when he got the body created, then he breathed into the man the breath of life. And it says, and then man became a living soul. You can imagine that for every person that has ever been created, whatever the circumstances, however they were conceived. We are created in the image of God, and we are endowed with his very breath to live. The Apostle Paul goes a little further with this in Acts 17, 28, when he was talking to the Greeks up on the the hill of Athens. And he says, it is in God that we live and move and have our very being. Paul is saying we can't even live, we can't even move, except for the fact that God allows us to, that God has granted us life and he keeps us living. Through God we become a living soul. Through God we move and have our very being. So God is the beginning and end of everything about our lives. And that means the life we have been given is sacred. It is a gift from God. And we are created to live for him. Jesus added to this when he said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Not barely existing, not just eking out an existence, just not getting by, but living the life that God has designed and prepared for us. And so inside of each of us, there is a potential just waiting to get out, just waiting to be fulfilled. And the world too often minimizes a person's potential and even tries to shut it down. But God says He wants us to live, to really live. In fact, I want to look at one other passage. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6, starting with verse 10. You want to find one of the pew Bibles in front of you there. You can look on page 962. I'll make it real easy for you. 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. And let's, let's, let's go ahead and skip down a little bit. I'm sorry. Let's skip down to verse 17. There's a lot of good stuff there, but just in the interest of time. Let's go to 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, 
and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. Now listen to this. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now the Word of God says here, that God has created everything richly, providing it for us for our enjoyment. So there's nothing wrong with having joy, nothing in having enjoyment, nothing of, of you know, being pleased with what's going on in good things of your life. But it's not that our lives are to be lived selfishly. For Paul goes on to say here, the reason we are living is to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So we're in this together And we look at the needs of others, just as we've talked about in recent weeks. In this way, then, Paul says, we will take hold of the life that is truly life. And much of the world has missed that life. Much of the world doesn't understand that life. But as we come to Christ, we learn what life really is. The reality is this, that God wants all of us to live and to live a fulfilling, productive life, whatever our circumstances. He has placed the seeds of goodness and and meaning within each of us, and He wants us to discover the most purposeful, most meaningful life that we can discover. Rick Warren said in one time, he says, you are not an accident. Your birth was no mistake or mishap. Your life is no fluke of nature. Your parents may not have planned you, but God did. He was not at all surprised by your birth. In fact, he expected it. Long before you were conceived by your parents, you were conceived in the mind of God. It is not fate, nor chance, nor luck, nor coincidence that you are breathing at this very moment. You are alive because God wanted to create you. The Bible says the Lord will fulfill his purpose. For me, Psalm 138, 8. So why did God create you and me? Why did God create any person on this earth, whatever their circumstances, however they were conceived? Why did he bother to go to all the trouble of creating a universe? Why was each of us born? Because he is a God of love. And God wants to give love and receive love. And this kind of love that he gives is difficult to fathom, but you can count on it. The world may not give you this love. Other people may not give you this love, but God created you for this love, and he will always give it to you. You were created as a special object of God's love, and God made you so that he could love you and so that you could love him back. But your free will allows you to choose whether or not to do that. You were made for God. And you were made for good. I was made for God. I was made for good. And we choose how our lives are to be lived. And we celebrate the value of every life. But that life must be lived for God. And this is a great message for our world today. For the unborn child. From from that child that is trying to understand, why did I come about anyhow? What is my place? What is my meaning? What is I'm supposed to do? To the teenage mother or the father who is contemplating abortion because they have no idea how they're possibly going to survive this, how they're going to deal with this baby. To the woman who has already had the abortion, 
who has already decided it, now she's having regrets or she's having uh, shame or, or maybe she's just feeling the, the, the loneliness and the suffering of that decision. Or maybe to the doctors and the nurses who perform abortions, who somehow convince themselves, I'm helping these people, I'm doing something good for these people. We all need to know that God loves us with an everlasting love. While he has spoken against the horrible nature of abortion and the ghastly things that are done in the name of kindness, God loves every single person in that equation, every single person that's involved in all of that. And we must love them too. He wants us to know him. And to experience his love. He wants us to know his love and to reciprocate his love. Can we see this morning what he's up to? I want to share a video with you this morning. It's called Unborn Face. So let's take a few minutes to watch it together, please.
God of love and compassion, we plead for your mercy. We come to you on behalf of all women facing decisions about the life of the child you are knitting inside of them. Meet them in their despair and fear with your hope and peace, that they would know your unconditional love and that you are with them. Bring others to walk alongside them and give them courage to choose life. We pray for parents and boyfriends, husbands and others who are encouraging abortions. Soften their hearts and fill them with your love for this child. For women who have had abortions, oh God, please overwhelm them with your mercy, forgiveness, healing and peace. For those who have encouraged or even forced abortions, God, open their eyes to see the error of their ways and the forgiveness and redemption that you offer. God, we know you love the people who perform and facilitate abortions. They earnestly believe they are doing good. Open their eyes to see the horror of what they are doing. Reveal to them your love and forgiveness. For those walking alongside women in crisis pregnancies, oh God, make them agents of your love and truth. And for those advocating for life, Father, fill them with your love, that they would be ambassadors for Christ. Have mercy. Forgive us, O God, and bring an end to the shedding of innocent blood. We ask all of this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Can we add our prayers this morning? Pray with me. Lord, our hearts are broken, Lord. Our hearts are broken for those who are caught up in crisis pregnancies today. It'd be really easy, some instances, to cast our finger, point our finger at them and say, you knew better. It'd be real easy for us, Lord, to be critical of those who have pushed this whole thing as an industry, as a way to make money. It'd be so easy for us to rant and rave against sin, right, against sinful choices. But Lord, I pray for the heart of Jesus who looked out over Jerusalem and he wept. 
And he said, these, these people are sheep and they need a shepherd. He had compassion. Lord, I pray for our care net center that's just down the street from us here. And the many people that they minister to. The people that they have reached out to and, and helped them through their crises. And given them the good news of Jesus. I thank you for the lives, those children that have been spared as a result of that ministry and as the result of our prayers. And I thank you, Lord, for every, every life. We celebrate those lives, however they were conceived. And we celebrate the good news that you have given us in Christ, that every person can come to know you and love and, and receive your love and receive your grace and love you in return. Lord, our, our world is uh, full of all kinds of people. Even in this room, there are all kinds of people. People who have experienced all kinds of things. Some of us in this room have gone through crisis pregnancies ourselves or maybe one of our loved ones has. We have made difficult choices. Sometimes we regret those decisions and sometimes we see the beauty of what you did when we thought nothing good would come of some situations. Lord, you are a God of grace, but you are also a God of justice. And so we pray somehow, Lord, in our land, what is right and good will become right and good in the land again. And we pray that in the meantime we will have the heart of Jesus. And we will not be those who condemn quickly. Those who only sit to the sidelines. And scream at the world. But that we would be out there reaching into the lives of hurting people. And we would love them. In the name of Jesus. Bless our ministry as a church, Lord, as we give hope to the hopeless. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are eternal souls made in the image of God. And we have given a promise, been given a promise of eternal life through Christ. So this morning we're going to sing about that as we get ready to conclude our time together. That one day we will rise and we will be with him forever. Would you stand with me and sing?